We are keeping democracy alive. Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shock. So yes, there's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. That people don't feel that they can do very much. You know what this is? This is a very Hamiltonian system. Alexander Hamilton being the guy here in a very un-Jeffersonian. In the case of the Republicans, it's dramatically the opposite. Uh, But even in the case of the Democrats. An absolute typhoon of terror against African Americans themselves. America's fascists are those people who think that Wall Street comes first and the American people come second. We're only seen as a financial sector that's uh, gotten out of hand. The shooting, the violence, that is not the drug problem. That is, in fact, the drug policy problem. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. Uh, The dignity of humanity. Shouldn't that matter when it comes to American foreign policy? We used to care about human rights and things like that when shaping our policy and not just dictated by short-term oil interests. Boy, I don't know. The government of Saudi Arabia has traditionally been a very close U.S. ally. But lately, they've dramatically escalated tensions, perhaps intentionally provoked a crisis in the Middle East by beheading, yes, beheading 47 people, including a very prominent and popular Shiite cleric who had dared to criticize the Saudi government. The Saudis also recently ended the ceasefire in the war in Yemen. This sudden escalation threatens uh, international efforts to end the Syrian civil war and reduce the threat to the West of terrorism from that region. Beyond the obvious intention uh, that the Saudis have to crush any Shia dissent against their Sunni government, does the new king of Saudi Arabia also have a hidden agenda? Might what we're seeing now be sparks not unlike those of June 1914, when one seemingly minor incident quickly brought other states into a great war? How will uh, the threat of ISIS be affected? What is the role of Turkey and of the Obama administration in our strategic alliance with Saudi Arabia against Iran? Very pleased to have with us once again here to shed light on this intricate tangle, Patrick Lawrence, writing as Patrick L. Smith. Thanks for being with us. Pleasure, Bert, always. Happy New Year to you and your listeners. Oh, and you too. And Patrick is the foreign affairs columnist at Salon. He's a correspondent. He was a correspondent abroad for many years, and he's the author of five books. The latest of which is "Time No Longer: Americans After the American Century." Uh, available from Yale University Press. You can follow him on his Twitter account at the Flautist or through his website patricklawrence.us. Well, again, thanks for being with us. In your new piece, Cheers. in your new piece for Salon, you write that quote. If there is a single moment that crystallized all that has been wrong in America's conduct across the Middle East for many decades, it came at the weekend when the administration's spokesmen could not bring themselves even to comment directly on, to say nothing of condemn, Riyadh's purposely provocative beheading of a prominent Shiite cleric, a principled uh, critic of the regime. Uh, They did it on January 2nd. The actions were clearly atrocities. 
so why would the Obama administration find itself so so tongue-tied? And in what ways did this, as you say, quote, crystallize all that has been wrong in America's conduct across the Middle East for many decades? Well, Bert, uh, <clears throat> that uh, action by the Saudis uh, was just shocking in itself, of course, uh, beheading 47 people. Typically, the Saudis do this in public squares. These were uh, these executions were carried out uh, out of public view. But th- that's a that's a small matter. Uh, look, we the world is horrified when the Islamic State beheads people. Right. Uh, it's a gruesome sight. I've only watched one of those videos, and that's quite enough. Yes, uh, same here. But we have nothing to say when the Saudi when when the Saudis do exactly the same thing. Does it make it supposed to make a difference when it's state policy? I'm sorry, I'm not on that bus. Yeah. I doubt many of your listeners are. Uh, it was, it was to me. I I said uh, in the passage you quoted that this crystallized uh, all that has been wrong with American policy in the Middle East for a very long time, because it exposed the uh, fundamental hypocrisy. Mm. Uh, that it lies at the root of our conduct in the Middle East. We've been c- carrying on <clears throat> in the same fashion for decades, uh, pretending to be the bearers of the democratic torch and uh, <clears throat> concerned about human rights and so on and so forth. It's really, uh, I mean, it, as a crystallizing moment, I rather welcomed it. I, I hope more of more of us are able now to discern things as they are. Our our policies in the Middle East have absolutely nothing whatever to do with human rights, uh, atrocities by <clears throat> one or another uh, state entity or, or, <clears throat> or some other actor. No, it's a sheer advantage. One, uh, as you noted in your preface, uh, yeah, oil resources, no question. Uh, two, it's the great game. It's uh, we, mm-hmm. it's the strategic game. We have never left off uh, with the Russians uh, on this point, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> so that we can. I mean, look, there have been other such moments when uh, when Morsi was deposed in in Egypt. What what a tragedy! Uh, the guy was. Uh, a, a Muslim, a moderate Muslim, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have we have since uh, equated the Muslim Brotherhood with the devil, but honestly, it's it was a nonviolent group. They accumulated their influence since the late twenties by doing basic community work that was appreciated, social work. Etc. Etc. That's what makes the group effective. Suddenly they're terrorists. Mm. No. And Kerry uh, uh, arrives a few days after the coup in July 2013 and announces, "Good, <clears throat> Egypt has finally restored democracy." I fell off my chair, honestly. Mm. Uh, and uh, it's the same. It's the same thing with the Saudis. What? How can we possibly? Uh, conduct a, a, a Middle Eastern policy with Saudi Arabia at the core uh, 
based on behavior like this. Again, I'll conclude here. Nothing new in it, but mm. it is exposed, right? That's what I meant by a crystallizing moment. Right. The, the, United, the Europeans were horrified and said so. The Iranians are in the right on this one. Yeah. Uh, as one of the European papers pointed out, oddly enough, uh, the Iranians, who were most recently rather uh, outside the fence, if not mm -hmm. entirely demonized, mm -hmm. are suddenly the object of European sympathies. Well, <clears throat> correctly so. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we were, we were we, as you say, tongue-tied. We had nothing to say. It's really, I mean... I, I don't find it at all reasonable. I don't find it at all rational. And, you know, it does seem that our American policy has been uh, petro-political, shall we say. It's been, based, good word. It, it's been based on oil for a long time. Well, now that the price of oil is just dropping through the floor... Quite amazing. It is amazing. And We're going to go down in the 20s, Morgan Stanley just uh, predicted overnight. And what does that do for the power of the Saudi regime, I wonder? I mean, they've always been able to depend on their power because they own the oil. I wonder if this you know, intense reaction beheading 47 people, is this something to do with their nervousness about losing uh, political power because of the situation with petroleum? Well, I, I think the Saudi position for a long time was based on uh, global demand. To that extent, I would say yes in reply to your question. Um, but things have shifted quite dramatically, one, because of changes in uh, resource supply and all the rest, but also because of the position Washington has put itself in mm. since 2013 when uh, the Iranians uh, extended their hand westward and uh, Kerry and Obama grasped it and the nuclear negotiations commenced in November 2013. Yeah. Um, the, <clears throat> the, uh, the Saudi position instantly altered. Okay, why? Well, uh, because uh, an opening to Iran, the uh, elimination of, in my view, very mm -hmm. unnecessary conf confrontational atmosphere yeah. between Washington and Tehran, um, was bound to change all relationships. I, I forecast that the minute Rouhani completed his speech at the General Assembly in uh, September 2013. Um, uh, I was thinking then of U.S.-Israeli relations, mm. which I think are in need of a very extensive and fundamental uh, renovation. Yeah. Uh, but that's going to take a lot more time for reasons you and your listeners all understand. right? Uh, but the Saudi position was instantly <clears throat> uncertain. Why? Because they were able to, they enjoyed for many decades a bargain with uh, the Americans um, that went this way. W they provided oil, of course, mm -hmm. uh, and in return they got checks 
ungodly uh, quantities of weaponry yes. uh, and silence. Money, weapons, silence. Mm -hmm. That's what they got from the Americans. Mm. Um, suddenly, the Americans are doing business across a mahogany table with the arch enemy of the Saudis. This is the yeah. Shiite uh, Sunni uh, Divide, uh, yeah. confrontation. Right. right? right. Um, and the Saudis became quite insecure. They subsequently, previously, they were not a, an especially assertive uh, nation in the region by way of foreign policy and so forth, right? Hmm. Under Abdullah, the they just yeah. minded their manner. Sorry, Abdullah, the predecessor yeah. to the current monarch. Uh, they minded their manners. They felt quite secure. Washington was always a phone call away, and cooperation was absolutely assured. Yeah. Uh, suddenly, it's not. I mean, I don't think they had any particular reason to get nervous, but I'm not a Saudi. They got nervous. Uh, and um, I, I think what we have here, Bert, is, uh, and it, we're looking at, and the, the Obama administration did an excellent, excellent thing by way of the nuclear negotiations Absolutely. and uh, an attempt to relax tensions, uh, however narrowly the consequences of the agreement will be managed, okay? It, it was a huge improvement. Uh, I, I, I couldn't be more enthusiastic yeah. for it. But I wondered from the first, are they going to be they, the Obama administration, are they sophisticated and imaginative enough to manage all the consequences that are going to flow from this? And what we have seen mm. now is, no. I don't think they are, no. which is rather too bad, of course. Well, things get locked into place and difficult to change. We're talking on uh, Keeping Democracy Alive with our guest, Patrick Lawrence, who uh, uh, is foreign affairs columnist for Salam. We're talking about... Uh, the uh, tensions between uh, our good old boy friends, Saudi Arabia, and I do mean good old boy because women haven't had rights there, and uh, <laughs> and Iran. Uh, and w what about the, uh, the situation in Yemen? My sense is that the Saudis see Yemen as... Iran's uh, playground there, and that that's where they're drawing the line in the sand, quite literally, that they have to stop the rebels, the Saudis have to stop the rebels in Yemen, which is, you know, a, shares a border with, with Saudi Arabia. What, 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 what is the reason that the Saudi government is doing that? Is it about geopolitics with, with Iran as the real enemy? Yes, it's all about Iran. This is a yet another, the, the Middle East is just alive with proxy wars, is it not? Uh, the, uh, the Saudis instantly saw the uh, uh, turmoil in Yemen uh, in terms of Shiite-Sunni mm -hmm. animosity, which is unfortunate. Uh, and they are, um, I don't know how to put it, Bert, they are certainly not practiced and uh, have values rather at odds to 
those shared by many of us, let's yeah. just put it mildly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their campaign against the Houthis in Yemen is, I mean, I am not the first to point this out, uh, is, 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 is arguably, or maybe not even arguably, war crimes. I mean, they are, uh, they are behaving absolutely indiscriminately yeah. in their bombing. It's just tragic. Again, what have the, what have the Americans had to say? Not a great deal. Not a thing. I haven't heard anything. Yep. People haven't been paying attention to that. I mean, you know, Yemen, where the heck is that? You know, why do we care? We got uh, fun stuff right. going on here. But right. <laughs> now, what we can take from this is uh, the Saudis a step at a time. Their their lukewarm reaction to the campaign against the Islamic State. Uh, which basically went to pieces after the Yemen conflict erupted, uh, and now they're they're uh, full bore um, air, ca- air campaign in in Yemen. We, we, uh, you know, it, we we can piece together uh, the Saudis' priorities. They are all about uh, the advancement of a very conservative Wahhabism, the, the very their very conservative interpretation of Islam, uh, and they are all about projecting their dominance in the region in a way uh, Abdullah never really wanted, um, so far as I know, uh, um, on the basis of of sectarian uh, preferences, tilts, leanings, right, Mm -hmm. Uh, beliefs. so that's the Saudis. The question for us is, what on earth are they doing in a coalition uh, nominally, and I stress nominally, right. uh, intended to uh, uh, engage and destroy the Islamic State? Will you please tell me what they are doing in that coalition? Yeah, I'd like to know. I was going to ask that. I mean, just before the holidays, the Saudi government, uh, you know, quite with a flourish, announced a coalition of 34 nations to fight terrorism. Say what? What? What is? What's? What's that all about? Is that for real? Yeah. What is that? No, this is all spectacle. Look, uh, uh, as I noted in that c- column that brings us together today, our major uh, we <clears throat> we needed we wanted regional allies, right? We we wanted to, we, we Washington right, America. Right. Uh, what needed regional allies in order to address this uh, Syrian crisis up as something that engages uh, nations in the region. Okay, so it's not all great power conflict. All right, we t- we settled on the Turks. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. a- a rather bad story in its own. Maybe yeah. we'll get to that. Oh, yes. Uh, and we settled on the Saudis. Neither is a, a proper partner in this. They are, in the Middle Eastern context, considerable regional powers. Right. right? right. They are both vigorously anti-Shiite, uh, right? Uh, uh, they are both... Uh, vigorously on the way to venomously anti-Iranian, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And they are in this conf- and uh, they are both, let's take away vigorously and vehemently, but they are all but overtly 
supporting either ideologically or materially the Islamic State. I, re- I return to my earlier question. What kind of a coalition is this, right? Mm. These two are hood ornaments <laughs> and nothing more. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of hood ornaments in uh, history, aren't there? Yeah, addressing the, uh, sorry, I, addressing the coalitions the, the, the Saudis announced, uh, you haven't heard much about it no. because it was a flop within 24 hours. And, and uh, Washington appears to have determined a, a gross embarrassment. And suddenly this coalition, one would have thought there would be a certain amount of enthusiasm about it. I, I doubt your listeners have heard, have read more than one piece. It just disappeared. Yeah. Uh, why? Because uh, there are 34 nations. Uh, many of them have no... no uh, military uh, establishments or structures of any consequence whatsoever. Uh, um, many, some of them uh, issued statements afterwards saying, what are they talking about? We never heard about this. Uh, and all of them, 100%, are Sunni. Uh, hmm. <laughs> Three problems. Interesting. So I was wondering about, I mean, there's a lot of uh, states in the region, Oman, Qatar, Bahrain, obviously Yemen, Egypt, Jordan, Lebanon, uh, leaving out Syria and Turkey for now. Are, are those states all Sunni? Is that, you know, is, it a, uh, is, is Saudi Arabia trying to, at least in terms of a hood ornament, make it look like the Sunnis are fighting the Shia? Is that what they want to do, have a big war like that? Well, their, uh, their headline is, we will fight terrorism wherever it appears all over the world. You know, they've got the Malaysians and all the others in on this, oh, right, right. supposedly. Uh-huh. Um, uh, their tag is, uh, we are opposed to terrorism, all right? They're not going to come out and say, we are here to advance uh, Sunni Islam, uh, preferably in its uh, Wahhabist mm-hmm. uh, manifestation. Mm-hmm. No, no, of course they're not going to say that, Bert. But that appears to be what it's all about. Who wants it? Well, and who is, what is the, uh, when you say, you know, the, you, the terrorism word, I mean, what the heck does that mean specifically? Who knows? What is the real relationship between the Saudi regime and ISIS? Or do we, do we know about that? I mean, are they sworn enemies? Or what, what is their relationship? It's pretty murky, okay? Uh, you, you don't want to overstate the case. There is, uh, but you don't want to understate it either. The, there is not a formal, any kind of structural relationship between uh, Riyadh and the Islamic State. We need to be clear about that. Um, but that's not where the story ends. They are, number one, an ideological inspiration. That's very clear. Um, just uh, if your listeners don't want to go into a lot of uh, religious uh, interpretation. Uh, <laughs> let's just leave it. They both like beheading people. <laughs> um, and, and, and but number two, uh, figure Saudi figures in and out of government. There, it gets very blurry here. Okay, mm-hmm. there are figures in the Saudi government who uh, support. Saudi foundations and so forth, and then you're getting into very wealthy Saudi individuals and all that, uh, and and they are providing material support. 
to the Islamic State so far as we know. I think this is pretty well established. Uh, I don't have a file here in my home uh, uh, on it. I will say that. But this is my very, very clear understanding uh, of, of what is going on there. Not a formal uh, state, if you right. will, let's say state to caliphate uh, relationship, no. But uh, very dense um, ties uh, on a kind of sub-state level. Well, it brings up the subject... Uh, Patrick, of uh, Turkey, another great U.S. ally. <clears throat> and <laughs> they are allegedly fighting ISIS, but as I understand it, and I think you and I have talked about it before, uh, the Islamic State gets a lot of oil. They have a seemingly endless supply of trucks to carry the oil into, uh, guess where, Turkey. And I believe the right. son or son-in-law, perhaps, of the uh, of, of President Erdogan, Erdogan uh, is uh, directly profiting from that. And, and what's the relationship? My question here is, what's the relationship between Turkey and the Saudi regime? Right. Turkey and the Saudis, uh, I, I don't think they have a relationship of first-rank importance. I, 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 I think they're, you know, they're two nations with common interests. I, so far as I know, uh-huh. uh, th- they are not uh, acting in, in, in concert uh, in any way that is consequential. I could be wrong about that, Bert. Uh, uh, I don't know. I'm not an expert on Turkish-Saudi relations. I have to step back there. Well, there is... But uh, so far as I know, they're both acting independently. And they're they both... Kind of parallel, I would say parallel uh, sure. agendas. They right? they both want to be powerful, and they both, both want to be oil states, it seems. Yeah, Erdogan is, uh, Erdogan is just the worst thing that happened to Turkey in a long time, and the worst yeah. thing that happened in his neck of the woods, if, hmm. if, you, if, if you ask me. Well, and it seems like this new King Salman of, uh, of Saudi, the Saudi government uh, is not a real good guy either. He's, uh... Well, yeah, I mean, he's a real sort of firebrand, right? And, mm. then you, and then you look up the guy's biography and you discover he's 80. It's rather odd, right? He behaves mm. like a 35-year-old young <laughs> Turk, if you will. Um, uh, yeah, Salman, look, in my view, Salman, uh, not to excuse this man or, or the conduct of, of Riyadh since he uh, acceded to the throne, but he has, let's say... I'll make up a word. He has analyzable concerns, right? Oh He's nervous hmm. uh, uh, about shifting power balances in the region because mm-hmm. of the opening to Iran. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he is more eager than his predecessor to project uh, 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 an ideology. Uh, he is more committed to. He is. He is more committed to developing Saudi Arabia as a regional power, right? These are all related motivations. Sure. Uh, and uh, he's, he's very unsettled uh, uh, about what Washington may do uh. by way of the Iranians. Uh, I, again, I don't think he 
needs to be, but I'm not sitting mm. in his office. Well, you never know with the elections coming up. And, and I, I just think about the, the kind of leader who's, who's nervous, who's paranoid, who's got a lot of money, who's right. got a lot of power, a lot of weapons. Now, the Turkish situation is much less comprehensible by any kind of ordinary measure of decency and good intent, right? It, it, it's just this Erdogan, uh, President Erdogan, is just a, a, a truly d- disgraceful yeah. man. Yeah. Uh, he has taken a, a, a nation with a long and quite honorable secular tradition, right? right? Uh, going back to Ataturk and so forth. Mm, right? yeah. And uh, cast it back into uh, a sectarian um, society uh, heading very, very quickly toward a fundamentalist ideology, and we'll have another Islamic state in in the region before you know it. Why did he do this? Mm. Political advantage. Mm. Uh, that's uh, and money that's too, what no my doubt. sources in Turkey have explained to me. And um, you, you said that uh, in, in your column for uh, Salon that, quote, King Salman took off Al-Nimir's head, I don't know if I pronounced that right, uh, on, January, here, yeah. on, on January 2nd, as part of a strategy to scuttle the Syria talks. To explain that. Bet. As I said in the column, I come from a family of horse players, I have to tell your listeners. Yeah. I, I said in the column, I, I have a $2 saver on the thought that Solomon is trying to sabotage those talks uh, for the benefit of your listeners' background. We, we await. The, the date now looks shaky, but the official date is January 25. We're going to have something approaching an all-parties conference, an old-fashioned term that I prefer, an all-parties conference on the, the fate of the Syrians. Okay? Uh, mm-hmm. this, is a, uh, this is a very big moment. Uh, and, it, and it could be very productive. The Saudis uh, agreed to participate in these talks, kicking and screaming. Mm. They are going to be sitting across the table from the Iranians. Oh my. It's just absolutely <laughs> unthinkable to them. Oh my. But to his credit, Kerry, who's, he works hard, this man, I have to say. Oh, he does. Uh, Kerry pulled all this together. I mean, it's spit and bailing wire at the moment, mm-hmm. but supposedly we are going to have talks as of January 25th. Um, now, this, this, the Saudis finally uh, consented to be in attendance, but you have to look at what's been going on ever since they offered their consent and say, do they really intend to be there? I mean, uh, uh, it, 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 for my... I, I, I'm rather pleased with my $2 saver, I have to say, because my, hmm. my, uh, uh it, it, it's only a bet, I have to say that to your listeners, but in my view, I strongly suspect the Saudis do not want these talks to take place, and if they have to, they will not last long. Now, what, what is... Syria's interest in the—I mean, <clears throat> I mean, Saudi's interest in the Syrian civil war. What, what's their, you know, what do they have in the game? Well, uh, sectarian animosity, right? 
Uh, that's the root of it, at, at least in my study of things. Hmm. Um, it is, uh, they have, well, two things. I, I think sectarian animosity, one. Two, uh, in the alliance with the Americans, the long-standing alliance with the Americans, they are with the, Amer- the Americans in wanting to pry Assad out. Okay? Uh, if Assad does not serve America's purposes, then he doesn't serve the Saudis either. Uh, right? Uh-huh. Uh, that's two. And three, since the opening to Iran, um, the Saudis, peculiarly enough, have drawn closer to the Israelis. Um, and the Israelis want to saw it out. Okay? Uh, so all these things come together. It's part strategy, it's part politics, it's part sectarian conflict. Uh, all It's a great big bowl of soup. Mm. Uh, but uh, mm. these are the factors, in my read, that uh, put the Saudis uh, in... Syria. And note, they're not all that interested anymore because um, they're lukewarm. (laughs) Their interest in Syria, Bert, has been served to date by doing as little as possible uh, against the Islamic State. They half-heartedly, I don't know, I think you could... They joined the bombing coalition, of course, uh, but I think you could uh, count the number of Saudi... uh, sorties um, on the you, you'd probably need a, a room full of people to count it on their fingers but very few okay very very few when things erupted in Yemen they stopped altogether so far as I know they're not even active in Syria anymore so uh, their their interest in Syria is in in effect watching as the as the Islamic State proceeds so, well, this is one thing I, I have wondered about. I mean, most people by now in America are aware there's Shia and there's Sunni. The Saudis are Sunni and Iran is Shia, basically. And I wonder, and is it, as, as many like to construe it, simply an ages-old religious struggle? Or is it, as with the case of Ireland, despite the simple picture of, of uh, you know, Catholics versus Protestants. Right. I, is it really a religious struggle or a political one or some of both? What's your take on that? You know, um, it's not a simple question. I'm glad you posed it. Let's see what we can do with it. <laughs> um, prior to... These are very different strains of Islam. The... <coughs> Pardon me. The uh, the parting of the ways is many many centuries ago. Okay, it has to do with belief. It has to do with belief and uh, the the status of Mohammed and so forth. Right? Um, who who is Mohammed and all this? All right. I'm not. Uh, I, sure. as, as your listeners will detect, I'm not an Islamic scholar. All right. Yeah. But that's it, yes. It goes back that far. However. Stepping forward, until quite recently, and this is visible to anybody who's been following the, the news uh, for most of his or her adult life, there wasn't a really great deal of conflict between Shiites and Sunnis um, pr- prior to, 
I want to be generous here. I, I would certainly say prior to the 2003 invasion of Iraq, uh, and maybe sometime before that. Uh, and uh, it was provoked. Okay, it was it was provoked. Uh, the Iraqi invasion provoked it. Um, uh, some uh, experts would argue that it was purposely provoked in the old. 19th century British tradition of divide and rule. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, prior to this recent interim, these two communities lived side by side. So far as I know, mm. there was intermarriage and everything else. I like your, I like your mention of Ireland. Um, you know, there are Protestants and there are Catholics. In my family alone, my father was Catholic. And he married a, an Episcopalian. Fine, right? Mm. Um, uh, but then we have Ireland, where it's it's, it's this it was a dreadful uh, confrontation for a very long time. Uh, was it all religious? I don't think it came down to right. whether one believed, as the Catholics do, that the Eucharist is is indeed actually the body of Christ, or whether one believes the as the as Protestants do that it is a symbol of same. Uh, I, I obviously it wasn't there. so it was it was cultural it was political and yeah. so forth. It, in my take summation here, Sunni and Shia are points of identity. Right, there are uh -huh. points of identity uh, through which uh, communities can exercise their uh, animosity towards <laughs> others. Right. Well, speaking of, of points of identity, for many years, since at least 1979, uh, I mean, forgetting about the fact that there was a legitimate government in Iran before the U.S. overthrew that government in the early 1950s, mm -hmm. in 1979, they kind of took their government back. And ever since then, uh, Iran has been the bad guy uh, in the United States for a really, really long time. Uh, Israel has been very concerned about Iran developing nuclear weapons aimed at them. Uh, what, what about Iran? I mean, they, they have been so clearly the bad guy. They're like the, uh, the 1990s, early 2000s uh, old Soviet Union. They are right. the bad guys. What, what do we know about Iran now? Uh, you know, they're supposedly terrorists supporting all over the world. They support terrorists allegedly in Yemen. What is the reality of Iran right now? And I wonder, well, let's just take a look at that. Yeah, uh, I don't... <clears throat> look, the Iranian government, as it's now constituted, is we, we, we really need to face the fact that it's a legitimate government. Um, uh, I Iran is a complex society. The Shah wanted... To think of Iran, his sister just died, incidentally, and the whole story was in there, in the obituary. The Shah wanted to think of Iran as a westernized nation, and measures of progress were, as the sister said, a remarkable uh, <coughs> quotation in, in the Times obituary. Uh, we, our women were so fantastic, they were just like Europeans, right? Uh, well, oh, that's not what Iranian people want, right? An Iranian scholar mentioned just the other day, if there were a referendum now, the government as it's now constituted would almost certainly be reaffirmed, okay? Mm -hmm. Iran is as Iran is. 
do they need to uh, get beyond the constitutional uh, flaws such that uh, they, they, the Supreme Leader has a, a veto over everything? In my opinion, yes, but I'm not Iranian, am right. I? Right. Um, uh, by way of what Iran does in the region, uh, I'm not the first to point out Hezbollah's major sin in the world is having chased Israel out of Lebanon, right? These tags, terrorist group, Hamas, terrorist group, I don't buy them, Bert. Mm -hmm. uh, your listeners can take that or leave it. <laughs> uh, they have interests. Uh, they have many activities other than military, right? This is a long tradition in, in Islamic societies, right? Mm. Social work, co community activities, that's why they accumulate adherence and supporters and acceptance among ordinary people, mm. okay? I, I, don't, uh, I don't assign, I don't buy the designation of... Uh, Iran as a terrorist supporting uh, nation, yeah, right? The at the risk of offending, at the risk of offending some of your listeners, I think the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, is vastly more terrorizing than anything Iran has ever cooked up. Well, I tend to agree with you on that. I, I have to say, and <clears throat> Iran is—I mean, it's not Arab; it's Persian. It's a very different yes. culture, and. Right. <clears throat> They're much, much bigger, I believe, than Iraq. And, you know, give uh, Secretary of State Kerry credit for working hard. I think, quite frankly, he's accomplished a lot more than his Secretary of State predecessor, shall we say. But, you know, to, to develop this deal with Iran, to prevent Iran yeah. from developing... Can I intercede here, Bert? Oh, sure, sure. I think one of the things that Kerry gets good credit for in my book is this. He grasped, I don't think he did at the outset, maybe he did, uh, but by the end he certainly did. He understood that Iran is not another Iraq. It is not an artificial, uh, uh -huh. it is uh -huh. not a set of lines on maps. The by the West. An artificial formula declared a nation right. uh, by outside powers. Mm -hmm. It is a long, uh, very, in many ways, rather magnificent civilization, you know, going back to, going back millennia. Yeah, they're um, a real nation. And they have a very powerful sense of identity. Yes. And if Kerry hadn't grasped that, this deal wouldn't have worked. They are not prepared, I say this numerous times in the columns, mm. They are prepared to open to the West. They would like to. I think the majority of Iranians are, are with the president now, yes. president of Iran. Uh, they are not prepared to sacrifice a square inch of their rights under international law because uh, enjoying uh, world recognition as a nation is extremely important to them, non-negotiable, right? right? Uh, and uh, I, I tip my cap to Kerry and Ben Rhodes and those sort of people, the the people who really push this through, yeah. for getting that, right? Mm -hmm. You have to deal with the Iranians as equals, all right? This is, to take the theme, uh, to take the theme uh, more largely for a sec, this is really the story of our time. The West has to be learned 
to address the non-West uh, on the basis of parity. Yes. The Chinese insist on it, the Russians insist on it, um, more subtly the Indians insist on it, everybody. And the Iranians are in the front rank on that matter. And which brings up the subject of your very excellent and informative, uh, thought-provoking book, uh, Time No Longer Americans After the American Century. The idea that, you know, we are the city on a hill, that we get to tell everybody in the world how to organize their nation. we got to get beyond that. We really do, if we want to make some uh, progress at all. And in your article, Patrick, you, you write yeah. that despite the fact that Iran is living up to its responsibilities in the nuclear accord, that instead of lifting the crippling sanctions that have gone on for a long, long time... Quite a long while, yes. Obama is now proposing to impose new sanctions. What is this yeah. about? Well, instead... <coughs> pardon. Instead is the wrong word. They are... This is a real bowl of... They don't eat soba there, so it's something else, but it's a, <laughs> it's a real tangle. Mm. Uh, they... The Iranians are living up to the nuclear agreement. No surprise, in my view. They they want that agreement to yes, work. Sure, they want to have They want those sanctions lifted. Yes. One, they are materially very damaging. And two, I've always argued, the psychological sense of isolation that, that, that uh, blankets the Iranian population is very painful. They feel... Uh, they feel they are a worthy member of the world community, and they're treated like pariahs. It's very sad to converse with the Iranians who, who feel this very directly. Okay, uh, so they are doing their duty um, by way of the nuclear accord signed in July. Boom. So Rhodes announced uh, a week or two back that this is so, and we ought to be in the process of lifting sanctions within a month. He said that, I think, uh, very late last year. Early Quickly, who is year. Rhodes? Ben Rhodes. He's the deputy national security advisor, okay. kind of a right-hand man to carry on mm -hmm. the nuclear negotiations. Okay. There was a photograph of, of President Obama preparing for his State of the Union speech in the Oval Office, and Ben Rhodes was sitting on the sofa with him. He's uh -huh. a player. He's so, a, he's a, sorry to interrupt. He's but a just... big thinker. Okay, um, so they <clears throat> they are fulfilling their duty under the under the accord signed in July. Therefore, sanctions must be lifted. Uh, it, pursuant to what I just said about the Iranians and their insistence on their rights under international law, one month after the. Uh, Accord was signed in July, August of last year. They tested a, a new generation ballistic missile. Um, their contention is that they had a right to do that because the there was a Security Council resolution in 2010 forbidding them to to execute any such test. Okay. Uh, resolution 1929, if your listeners want to look it up. Okay. It says unambiguously the, the Iranians are going to be subject to sanctions um, uh, if, if they insist on te testing ballistic missiles. That, that, there's no question about that. Another clause in that resolution says when the Iranians desist 
uh, in their in testing ballistic missiles and so forth. Uh, well, no, what, sorry, when the Iranians stop enriching uranium, uh, sanctions. these sanctions will be dropped. Right, right, clear. Right? Mm-hmm. That's the if clause later in the resolution. Well, the Iranians have stopped enriching uranium. Ben Rhodes just told us so. <clears throat> so, but... The, but we are, uh, it, it is so complicated and, and misguided in my read. We are dropping the sanctions imposed uh, because Iran is in conformity with the nuclear pact. Right. And we are proposing a new set of sanctions because Iran uh, is testing ballistic missiles capable of uh, bearing a nuclear warhead. I mean, uh, here, the logic goes like this, Bert. Thank you very much. You have stopped uh, all activities related to weaponizing nuclear material. We are going to lift sanctions. Now, we're going to put new sanctions on you because you, you have tested a ballistic missile capable of bearing one of those weapons that you're no longer capable of making. Hmm. Are you with me? Yeah, if a... you're not, I won't be surprised <laughs> because it's very illogical. <laughs> it's, uh, That's what we are saying. Oh my goodness! And uh, you know, as you write that, I think know, it's all about domestic politics. By the way, here in the United States, say more about that, please. Yeah. Well, I don't hear the Europeans raising their voices about Iran's uh, missile tests. Uh-huh. If your listeners want to look it up, the missile is called the Fateh three one three F A T E H three one three. Look, the Iranians, for very obvious reasons, we've been on the phone a while and talking all about it, they have a need for a vigorous, up-to-date defense infrastructure. Can anybody argue that? I can't imagine. Um, uh, Not only the Saudi situation, which has grown rather hot, but the standing threat of Israel. Yes. Okay? Okay. they have a need for this. They have a right to it. Um, uh, what they've just done with the missile test goes back to what I said earlier. This is our right under international law. Don't try to take it away from us. I'm not a legal expert, but I my position at the moment is, uh, in recognition of the fact that I'm not an expert, I think we all need to say it is at least a question that must be examined carefully whether that missile test, two of them actually, uh, uh, were transgressions. And we're not getting that question. And it's you can imagine, I mean, Israel has been rattling its saber against Iran for a long, long time. They're just seething, just, you know, dying to go after Iran and to bomb Iran. What a surprise. They want to have defensive capabilities. Imagine that. Exactly. Uh, the Russians sold the Iranians a defensive missile system last year, okay? Mm-hmm. A purely defensive system to counter incoming missiles. The reason for that was perfectly evident, okay? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Netanyahu objected. And if you read his statement, his objection boiled down to, this makes it more difficult for us to attack them. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, that's pretty straightforward. Anyway, I'll give him credit for that. <laughs> Bert, I can't imagine what your listeners are thinking right now, but uh, uh, this is the sort of logic, parentheses, illogic, right. that's going around in the Middle East now. We're ranging very widely, and we find it everywhere we look, don't we? Yes, well, I don't think anybody really wants this tinderbox to develop into anything like what happened in 1914, some kind of big, big, right. ridiculous explosion. comparison earlier. And in the interest of peace and stability, and in fighting ISIS, what what do you think, if, if you were in charge of policy, what should the U.S.'s policy be toward Iran and, for that matter, Saudi Arabia right now? We require, at this point, I've been thinking about this, we require a leader of very considerable magnitude, able to sit down with Americans and uh, then advance the idea, explain it to we Americans, to us Americans, uh, and then advance the idea that we need a very major, nothing-left-out renovation of our conduct in the Middle East. And the new way forward is to, is to examine all the discontent, deprivation, yes. uh, violence, uh, sectarian uh, conflict and everything else, bring people together and say, all right, this region is an unsalvageable mess if we continue as we are. Mm. And uh, my comparison is a kind of mega Marshall Plan. Let's get the Middle East back on its feet uh It'll take a long time, an enormous amount of money, and commitment. The one reason I hesitate to compare it to the Marshall Plan is because, effective as it was, it was executed out of American self-interest. We were worried about Western Europe flipping, flipping communist after right. the war, right? right? Yeah. Uh, what, what the, the guiding principle chiseled in in Janet on the uh, granite on the building where this uh, will be uh, would be organized is we are doing this out of disinterest it is we we will act in the best interest of middle eastern populations because at the end of the day we are enlightened enough to recognize if they are well we will be well absolutely Absolutely couldn't agree more. And I think the Saudis know that they're not, you know, the population there, they're not real happy about it. And so they're trying to scare them, it seems to me. Right. We need real yeah. stability. And you got to have. I would add one more thing to what I just said. Sure, please do. One of, the, one, great, one of the great French thinkers of the 20th century was named Henri Bergson. Yes. He once said, any new idea at first seems impractical. That's because it is impractical. But if, we're, if we understood it to be practical, by definition, it wouldn't be a new idea. So we should not be afraid to think in these terms just because it seems out of reach. Hmm. And that's how things get changed, actually. One of my favorite... It's precisely, yeah. One of my favorite quotes from 1968, the uh, French student worker uprising was, be realistic, demand the impossible. 
<laughs> we'll get there. Patrick Smith, read his stuff in uh, Salon Magazine, and uh, his Twitter account is at the Flautist. Thank you so much for shedding light on this confusing situation. Always a pleasure, Bert. Thank Cheers. You. When I get to the bottom, I go back to the top of the slide. Do you, don't you want me to make it?